from Romans 6, verses 12 to 24. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Oh, you're a lot more lively than the Niners. The Niners. <laughs> My wife and I have been coming to the 9 o'clock service, the remnant, for years. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, we, uh, it's gr- I'm grateful to be here uh, sharing God's Word and bringing um, both responsibility but a privilege to bring God's Word to His people, uh, especially in a series where the topics are a little dicey. Uh, I was hoping somewhat that the topic this week week would be uh, the gospel and the college playoff football series, but it's not. Unfortunately, (laughs) it's not. Uh, So as we've been in this series about the gospel pertaining to certain areas in life, um, today we're going to dive into one that's very complicated. It's a lot of entanglements in it. The gospel applied to our family, and specifically our adult relationships with our parents and parents with adults. This really could be four to five different sermons, and so I feel like I'm threading a needle. And uh, what you'll hear are maybe some principles that will prompt you towards some more questions. So let me pray. Thanks for praying, Ryan, but I'm going to pray again, Okay. <laughs> Oh God, uh, this is, uh, these are holy moments when we open your word and we uh, consider what you have for us. May you speak and help uh, me uh, to get out of the way that you would speak to each person here. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so regarding this topic, we all have a story. We all have a story and a narrative, right, in our family that's going on. I'm the husband to April of 35 years. I'm a father to Philip and Katie and their awesome spouses. And we've worked through a lot in all of this area. We've needed God's grace in many regards. I'm pops to Eden, Oakley, and Nora. It's good to be pops. I'm a son to Jerry and his wife, my stepmom, Martha, and to my mother, Barbara, and I'm a brother to uh, three siblings. We know addiction. We know food addiction, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, divorce, passive, passivity, passive aggressiveness, high control. We do know laughter. Any of this sound familiar? And through all this, we all experience God's grace in new ways. What I'm sharing with you is a work in process for us, but we've, we've gone a journey with all of those relationships that they're very complicated, they're, they're difficult at times. And 35 years of marriage and 40 as a believer, nothing, 
has been more sanctifying in our life than working through the family dynamics. I get an amen. <laughs> They've presented opportunities to move closer to God. As it says in Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing, that's what this is, that's really the goal, that our minds are renewed, that we become more like Christ, we think and act more like Jesus. And so what a great opportunity the family presents. Maybe we should just look at it that way, to be, become renewed in Christ. But it is the ultimate goal. Sometimes we just want sanctification right now. We want to, boom, hit me, bang, I got it. But the reality is, the more we become like Christ, it's because of the Holy Spirit, not things that we've done. And God's grace leading us into repentance, forgiveness, and truth. <clears throat> we also serve in a ministry, uh, Athletes in Action, that um, we work with athletes and coaches. The pain of performance Helicopter parents and absent parents. Um, parents that are, have expectations that get unfulfilled. Athletes that have expectations of their parents that get unfulfilled. It's messy. It's a mess. Parents wonder what they have to do to get their kid to play more or practice more. Gosh, the dynamics are uh, they're, they're sometimes debilitating for people. We work with young adults, parents, and a lot of friends our age that are wondering what happened to their adult kids. What they don't want anything to do with their parents. Or are fearful, or uh, young adults that are fearful to engage in any topics with their parents because they don't, they're, they don't want a, a, uh, a monologue. <laughs> they aren't going to get a discussion. So what are the minefields that exist in your family? We enter into a holiday season where those things seem to come out like the stuffing on a turkey, don't they? <laughs> they just start popping out. Maybe some of your families actually look like this. <clears throat> All right? What do we know about this garage, okay? It's too messy to deal with now. So what do we do? Shut the door. We'll deal with it later. How many of your family dynamics at times can feel like that? So what's at stake here? If we don't actually go clean the garage, is the gospel. That's what's at stake. There's never been a time in history where uh, people are, not getting, are, are getting more in tune with um, maybe their past, how they were raised, well, how it affects what they're doing today. I've been a part of that myself in thinking about how I was raised from a silent generation. Any, any of you all raised in the silent generation? We don't talk about problems, right? And how it's affected you now. And, and so uh, it's interesting where we are in history because it really wasn't where we were 40 years ago, and I don't know where we'll be 30 years from now, but it's where we are right now, and it's, I think it's valid. It's good. It's, it's helpful. All truth is helpful. Um, Martin Luther had a quote that he said, all history is kind of like a drunken man on his horse. He falls off the left side, gets on falls off the right side, gets on, falls back left to the left. And it's kind of like there's an ebb and flow to, um, to seasons of life and what we learn. But the question really is, as we move forward today in this topic, is how do we have healthy relationships where people are maturing together? How do we build trust in order to protect each other from our vulnerabilities? And how do we learn to create environments where God's grace is felt?
So we're going to look at some principles, answer some questions, but look at some principles today. Principles is how we mature. We don't mature in methodologies. Methodologies are great to get stuff done. Five steps to this, eight steps to this, right, to make this thing. Principles is how we mature as believers in Christ. Here's the three questions we're going to answer that the principles will come out of. What's the big deal about grace? How do we experience God's grace as adult children? And how do we experience God's grace as a parent? Well, everybody here is in one of those buckets. So here we go, all right? So what's the big deal about grace? There are likely three groups in every room. You fall into one of three groups. Those that have experienced the gift of God's grace for salvation, and you continue to experience that freedom. That may be you today. Awesome. Those that experience the gift of grace, of God's, God's gift of salvation, and you've struggled with living out of that place ever since. God's grace has not been evident. You might be stuck. You do things you don't want to do. You act the way you don't want to when you're around your family. You're going, why do I do that? I don't know why they say that. Why do I do that? Does that ever happen in your house? Or are we the only ones, right? Or there's those of you that maybe are checking out Christianity and you're saying, okay, I wonder how, how do I really, what does God's grace really mean? So I'm, as we talk today about some principles, there will be something that will apply to where you are in life. And nothing's better or worse than the other. So let's look at some principles of what's the big deal about grace. Grace is a new operating system. And grace is an environment, an environment where we mature, an environment we can be known and loved, an environment that provides protection. If you're in Christ, the governing principle of your life is now grace. When our theology does not match up with our reality, like what I believe and how I act, it's usually an issue of grace in my life, of understanding of grace in my life. You were once dead, but you're now alive with a new operating system if you're in Christ. Grace is the pathway forward for you. The old system, the law, is dangerous. Much of parenting and much of acting as an adult child to my parents is law-giving, law-keeping. And it's very dangerous. Parenting and living as children can be reduced to those, those things. But Romans 8, 2 and 3 says this, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Grace in our lives does what the law could not do. In that initial passage that I read, Paul says this, that we are really under a new operating system. The operating system is grace. So what does it really mean? What does it look like to be under the new operating system? Under refers to you're subject to the authority of, the control, the guidance, the dominion of something else, right? I serve under this person, under their guidance. I'm under grace. Under law, we're dependent on our works for our own righteousness and feeling good about ourselves. We're dependent on 
sin management techniques to get out of ruts that we're in. We're dependent on um, dealing with shame in a different way. Under grace, we're dependent on the work of Christ, not only forgive us our sin, but make us new, fully righteous, fully holy. Ephesians 4.24, if you really believe that, that you're fully righteous, fully holy, what would that do in your life? Under grace, it redeems my shame. Wherever you are, you are under something, law or shame. As Matthew 11, the passage that Jesus addresses uh, to those uh, relative to the burden of the law, he says, come to me, all you're weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It's another way of saying, hey, you are yoked to something or you are under something. And really, whatever you are under is probably how you'll parent or be or grow up. So, <clears throat> this, has been, this has been an ongoing story of our life. Ten or so years ago, um, April and I were out for dinner and with tears in her eyes, she said, something needs to change. And you need to figure this out. I knew what she was talking about. You know, again, we'd been married 20 plus years at the time. But some, something made me hear it differently. I think it was God's grace that made me hear it differently. But here's what it was. We never feel like we're enough. I never feel like I'm enough. Others never feel like they're enough. And to myself, I'm thinking... That's not actually what I mean, but it is what you feel. It is your experience. You see, whatever you're under, it will have a ripple effect in your life. And I'll share more of what that was for me. Secondly, grace is an environment. It's been said that it's not a theology we believe. It's an environment that we live in. <clears throat> it's a relational word. Grace is a relational word. Like hum humility is a relational word. One author says that grace is a theology of relationship. I love that. Steve Brown in his book, A Scandalous Freedom, asks, have you ever been hugged by a doctrine? <laughs> so what is this grace? What is this grace environment that we're talking about? <clears throat> in Romans chapter 5, after Paul uh, just finished turning the corner from what you were saved from to what you're saved to, he says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith, access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is a hugely pivotal couple verses. The Greek for access here means facing and to bring. In other words, bring you into relationship. The scholars called it an extremely significant moment that this term, this, this term was used. One author said the fact that it was used in this tense, present perfect, it's used to express great theological thoughts. Okay? Here's what it means. That your access is permanent that we're bound tight, that we don't 
need new introductions to grace. You're, you're there because of Christ. To stand, as it says, which we now stand, is like a field that you've been escorted to into which we now stand. It's like a farmer standing in a field. You see the picture? An environment created by an unconditional relationship with God. This environment changes everything about how we live. Grace is the most powerful, as it was said in a book, Addiction and Grace. Grace is the most powerful force in the universe. It can transcend repression, addiction, and every other internal and external power that seeks to oppress the freedom of the human heart. Grace is our only hope for dealing with addiction, the only power that can truly vanquish the destructiveness. Before you start looking outward at those addictions that we all seem to be the ones we know, drug, alcohol, etc., let's think about the fact that we may be mired in our own addictions of comfort, performance, affirmation, we're all vulnerable to something that will own us. So to restate here, God's grace is a new operating system and it's an environment that is fostered by those who know it. So let's bring the, the truths of this into the reality of the garage, okay? <laughs> we're going, we're gonna, how does this work in the garage? Because it's messy in there. You get in there, you start saying, would I throw this away? You know, what do I do with it, Okay. So let's look at the experience of God's grace. God's grace as an adult child. <clears throat> and since all of us are children, not just some of us, we've all subjected somebody just to a lot of pain, we're gonna spend a little bit more time on this than, um, than the latter. God's grace reveals what I trust, and it also makes honoring possible. It reveals what I trust. I mean, it reveals what I yoke up to. As Stephen Covey put it in one of his old books, it reveals what my, my true north is, right? What my, my, my eyes are on. Many of us have great families in this room, okay? Awesome. But you still got your own things pop up, right? Brokenness is family eat the A lot of destruction. People that are nice, passive. Families operate only in justice, as Justin preached on Or maybe a great environment. What is yours like? It creates whatever is creating these narratives in our life. Names of growing up in a home. Narratives in false gods. Look at us. I grew up in a house, a working side generation. Well, do your thing. Uh, probably not going to talk about a lot, but let's go. Gird up. This is me, right? I had a lot of attaboys, family. I can remember them maybe playing basketball and people saying, hey, good job. <clears throat> I can remember hearing, I'm proud of you. Until I was in my early 50s. My dad was visiting here. We were in. He I'm proud of you. And I left the room. Fault, blaming him. What happened? It became star growing up for Africa. So do that. You become a performance addict. And it really ended up a ripple effect on those you love the most. They feel it's an aroma. And in life, I met Christ. I knew Christ. God's grace helped me understand a new way. So, one of the greatest challenges in honoring, as we transition to this, this is a it's honor something that many a few times. I was just laughing at a friend who was talking about. He asked me, you know, so how do you honor somebody psychotic in their deep, uh, destructive family? It's caused problems. How do you, that is a great question, isn't it? I think Sir Pastor Samantha spoke about this. All over the place. I'm still talking to parents. 
wonderful parents, wonderful advising parents, right? Like, all that have advising parents, we are that too, aren't we? Um, but Paul said in 6, we're reading the, the back in Ephesians where it's, how do we walk into these environments? And one of them is fathers and kids. And so it's not your father and mother. You're stating one of the two men to honor. Turn time on this because it's, it can get really tricky. It says it's not because we're in our own flesh and blood that's what we honor. It's really because it's a primary order of how God designed life. It says if you do it, there, you'll be blessing as it's different. But you'll be blessed. There's no reason. It's kind of like the psalm in Psalm 19. said, the Lord is perfect. Meditate on the law of night, and you'll be like a fruit planted by some water. The psalm 19, the law is perfect. Do it. Reviving the soul. So when we things in God's order, there is a root of the soul. Blessing that comes to our life. <clears throat> so talk about the future. What's honor? This mean to honor. And how do we do it? We could spend a whole week. There we go. What's honor? It's a multiple choice. No matter how you feel or what your stances are, it is a choice. All of our greatest freedoms, human being, to choose to think about and act on. See, our thoughts and feelings make up a lot of our mind, what we mind about doing. Now, it's only, we do get to choose what we want to honor. So there's just a lot of problems this. You may be the only one, you may be like, and it makes it challenging. You may be rich for your views. You may be chosen a career, chosen a career path that doesn't make sense to your parents. I remember we came in the mission field when we were 40, and we had jobs and that paid paychecks and and uh, had a good life and living near her parents, and we chose to move and raise our support, and they thought, what? It didn't make any sense to any of them. What are you doing? Much less moving to Ohio. They said, why don't you just move to Africa? <laughs> um, you, may, <clears throat> you may have been a, excuse me, You may have been abused. You may be breaking a cycle of generational sin. Fill in the blank. There's all kinds of things that make it hard for you to honor. You can make an excuse, really, about anything of why not to honor. But it is a command. We do get to choose. It's not a vending machine, or it's not a weapon, as maybe some of you do, or we did. Remember, honor your father and mother. (laughs) So what it isn't, it isn't a cheesy Mother's Day card. It doesn't really say to trust them, your father or mother. It doesn't say to admire them. I'm talking to adult, adult, to adult children here. It doesn't say you have to like them. And it doesn't even say you had to obey them. It just said you got to honor them. Sometimes we get confused in this area and we think, gosh, if we ask their input on something, then they're going to have their jaws in me and you know, it's going to become me sitting listening to all their advice and therefore I can't ask them, then maybe that's not honoring. We play these games up in our head. So what does it mean to honor? There's principles that, that help us understand. One of them is to comply with but not violate another principle in Scripture. Okay, that can be a confusing statement. But let's think about this. There's other passages, uh, other principles in Scripture, such as leaving and cleaving. You get married, and you leave and cleave and become one. Uh, there's, a, there's a verse in Luke 14 that talks about hating your father and mother. What does that mean? How do I, I'm supposed to love everybody. I'm a hate. What, what is that? Well, if we understand context here, that means in reference to our love for God. But let's say we work with a lot of young adults. You're, you're a young married couple, and before you got married, you had relationships that were very intertwined, meshed with your mother and father, and maybe there's some codependency, and uh, they had maybe some emotional challenges 
personally for them and they kept venting to you. And that may be still your, true for you in your 40s or 50s where you become the, the garbage can for a lot of things. Well, you see, if that, if that actually continued to be true as you got married and left and cleft, I guess that's how you say it, I don't know. Um, if you got married and went down this pathway, you're violating a principle of leaving and cleaving. So it becomes necessary for us to differentiate and distinguish between true need and felt need. It forces us to mature. You know, there's that, that term, differentiation, differentiate. Or maybe in my simple way of thinking, that old AT&T commercial, to stay in your lane, bro, okay? How do I stay in my lane and still honor? See, honoring applies worth and dignity. Your parents are made in the image of God. They brought you into this life, and like they'd like to tell you, they can take you out. Nothing more honoring, though, than pointing to the good things in their life that they gave to you. And that's hard sometimes when you've, you may be the recipient of a lot of pain. But the reality is they were made in the image of God. There's a characteristic that really is valued and it's made you in a good way of who you are. I was, uh, had a phone call with my dad this week. He's 87 in a long-term care in Colorado and was thinking about this sermon. I thought, when's the last time I actually told him something I really appreciate it. It's been a while. I'm not huge. I'm a huge affirmation guy. I'm learning. And I said, uh, I said, you know, Dad, I really appreciate how you taught us to work. And he paused and, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. And I don't know that, I think, I think, I think he felt honored. Honoring also learns forgiveness. This is huge because our unresolved past always, let me say this again, it's important, unresolved past always affects future relationships. Forgiveness is a gift of God's grace, not a white-knuckling activity. You know, when you grew up as a kid, hey, forgive them, you know. I'm sorry, you know, I forgive you. (laughs) But they don't mean it, their heart's not in it. Obedience is really a heart thing. Okay, But forgiveness is a gift of God's grace. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. As it talks about, as we're led in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we're also forgiven our debtors. So there's a process to this. And with some of our parents, they have some, they have some, there's some backstory that have their claws in you. You can't get out of it. They don't know it. They're just in you. There's pain. And so, very simply, you've got to recognize that something Happened. Something actually happened to you. And understand how it affected you. Because the consequences are usually worse than the act. Bring this to the Lord and to some others, some safe folks. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, forgive them. Not for them, for you because that pain doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to Christ. Jesus died for that pain. It doesn't have to have that ownership of your life. And you know what I mean. When there's past issues, when you walk into that room, they linger. 
You don't know when they're going to come up, rear its ugly head, like one of those whack-a-moles, you know? When you forgive somebody, it doesn't mean you have to trust them. It just means the effects of it are not mine anymore. Christ has healed those. Your parents are going to keep making mistakes. You're going to make a mistake. We make mistakes. It's going to keep happening. So keeping a clean slate is really important. It's how we honor them. <clears throat> Sometimes our virtue or our inability to own our own mistakes cause us to blame them for them. So here's a couple of practical things about honoring. Communication. Regular communication. Return a text message. <laughs> Have a day you call them. Something that they feel thought of. Tell them what you appreciate. Tell them how you see the image of God in them. It's, it's honoring, but, but I'll be honest with you. Apart from the grace of God, I, I don't gravitate to those things. I've got to revisit God's grace in my life. Help me to honor. It's what makes this possible. Take responsibility for your growth and the command by the grace of God. So let's transition to the parent. <clears throat> this is, gets a little messier. So there's two things we'd like to talk about here that God's grace helps us do as parents. It helps us to face reality. And it helps us understand how to make trust possible in relationships. This may apply to you as an adult child too. So let's just talk about the courage to face reality. God's grace helps me understand the challenge. Let's face it. There is really nothing natural about parenting. Dying to yourself, being interrupted when you have young kids about doing something you do not want to do, serving, having to be patient. It's impossible. Let's confess it. It's impossible. Confess it to God. This is a challenge I cannot do on my own. <clears throat> the, real, the reality is that it's hard because it's relationships. Remember, grace is a theology of relationships. There's a reality that we need God's grace to help us understand. We're, you're as much like your kids, uh, more like your kids, than you really think. Hey, we like to push the boundaries. We want to know where the, what the rules are. We need everything our children need. We need discipline. Not over-discipline and not under-discipline, but we need discipline. We need unconditional love as parents. We need to be reminded that our identity is not in what the world says, but what God says is true. A reality that our unresolved life issues do affect them, even ours. A few years ago, I asked our kids... How have I, being your parent, how, has, how have I affected you? What's it been like to be my child? Warning, don't ask if you're not ready. <laughs> they were gracious. But it helped me understand what I described earlier, that there was a history of not measuring up not being good enough. It was the environment that I created. 
So last summer I was in Denver and finished, I played a round of golf with my son and my son-in-law and we were, uh, we were having lunch at Red Robin and, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity for any dad to just spew out some wisdom nuggets, right? No, I was determined I was going to ask him, what do you need from me in this season of life? What do you need from me in this season of life? Well, as a, as a minister, as a missionary, and we work with athletes and coaches, a lot of people, those guys' ages, I work with guys their age all the time with Athletes in Action. So what we do, that's what our weeks are made up of. My son said to me, I don't need you to be AIA guy, missionary guy. I need you to be my dad. Good to hear, hard to hear, right to hear, humbling to hear. Understanding the reality of our, what we've done with our kids. Understanding the reality, of how, the reality of how you view you. This is really important. Your, how you view you is likely the, the orientation you bring to your kids. As, as, as I described, if you're only overly critical about yourself, you'll probably be overly critical about them. If you're wrapped up in achieving and performance, then you will pass that on to them. If your view of you is wrapped up in shame, you will give that away. But if your view of you is what God says is true about you, you'll give that away. Part of the, as I've shared a little bit of our story uh, with you, a pivotal moment over these last 10 years came in, a, in some work with a counselor in this passage in Isaiah. <clears throat> Isaiah 42 des describes the, the kind of the worst days of, of Israel, their, their greatest moments of greatest rebellion. Like they're at their worst. Think about when you're at your worst. <laughs> you just wanted somebody to say, you're at your worst, you're horrible, right? What are you doing? Well, <clears throat> in Isaiah 43, I was kind of stopped by this, this passage here. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. I am the, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. God's disposition towards us is not tied to our behavior. If we can get that truth deep in our bones, think about some of the healing that could happen in your family with your kids up and down the chain. If we don't get this right, we won't get these relationships right. What is your view of you? Take time this week to write it down in a journal. What is my view of me? <clears throat> God's grace also makes trust possible. Listen, we've all had moments where there's trust been broken. It just happens. It's messy, right? Like the garage. 
We leave it all in the garage and go, okay, well, all that stuff just sits out there. I don't want to deal with it. It just happens. We all, all had unmet expectations. We show up to a meeting or a family gathering and we think, oh gosh, this is going to be great. We can have all these conversations. Then somebody says something sideways and we get all bent out of shape. And, you know, like Will Smith said in Hitch, you know, I guess that didn't go as I expected. <laughs> uh, we've had those moments with our kids. Hey, we're going to go have a great talk, you know, sit by the river and have a great conversation. <laughs> and, and, you know, they just want to throw rocks. And so we go, well, that was, that's not what I thought. But trust is really critical. It's really critical to growing in our relationships with our adult kids. <clears throat> Well, why is, this, why is this so important? Because your new job description says it is. If you're a parent and you've got adult kids, you can def- decide what age that is. But if you're a parent with adult kids, your job is to build a relationship of trust and lead them, protect them in that. A relationship of trust and vulnerability allows you to protect them. I want to say something about dads and daughters just for a minute because the question was asked. My daughter's not, maybe my daughter's married, but let's say your daughter is not married. She's in her early 20s. What is your role in her life? Here's, the, here's what I would ask you in return. Do you have a relationship of trust with her? Because if you don't, you don't have a, a role of authority. If you have a relationship of trust you have a relationship that can help influence. You don't have that role if you don't have a relationship of trust. See, in our life, there is no gospel without trust. It says, if we profess Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, and it says in Romans, believe in our heart, humble ourselves before that, that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. We understand the gospel because of humility and falling under what Christ has done for us. We trust that. We trust it. But there is no relationship without trust. Trust is really what pleases God the most, not our effort, but our trust. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's just opposed to earning. Without trust, I cannot live in humility. I cannot please God. Power is pursued. And I feed my dysfunctions. At the core of building trust is our heart. Vulnerability, connecting with their heart. Proverbs 4 says, guard your heart, for it is what? The wellspring of life. It's a place where humility and submission reside. Let me just say one thing about about this whole thing about obedience and compliance and submission and humility. There's many kids that grow up in forced compliance. It's not a heartfelt compliance. They just do it. And there's sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. I understand. Okay. But there's forced compliance. There's a danger at times if it's not connected to some heart, the heart. The danger is this. When they get older and they make bad decisions, they blame you for their decisions because they didn't know why. They didn't know what was at at the core of who you were. So it's really important we develop, we have access to the heart. We show them our humanity, show them our failing. There was a pivotal pivotal moment in in this story, and I hate to keep 
<laughs> kind of telling you about my, my life, but part of it was actually sharing what I shared about my wife and I and my journey and, and the performance addiction and learning grace in a new way. It was just sitting down with him saying, here's my reality. I'm sorry if I affected you negatively. <clears throat> Paul Tripp says, to the degree you're unwilling to confess your depravity will be the degree of your effectiveness as a parent. Well, <clears throat> let's, let's, let's start wrapping this up. I want to share an illustration with you. Remember the Wizard of Oz? If you didn't, I'll try to help you understand it. There's the wizard. Dorothy, is the, Dorothy and all the others, and Toto, right? They walk in to see the wizard because they want something from the wizard. And in the course, and it's intimidating, they're scared to death, you know, we don't even know this great Oz, and it's just this voice, and I don't have any connection. And in the course of talking to the, to the, to the wizard, Toto goes over and peels the curtain back, right? And there he is, the, the wizard that was so great is not so great anymore. They peel the curtain back, and he tries to shut it, and he goes, disregard the man behind the curtain. I am the great Oz trying to cover himself up. But you know what happened? Until he became real and a real person to them, he couldn't give them something real. Until I became a real person that understood all my failing and I was in need of the grace of God in my life. Could I actually give something to my kids and my relationships with them? So God is the initiator in our relationship and we are the responder. Sometimes to break a cycle of unhealthiness in a family, somebody needs to step up and say, I am going to be the initiator and build some trust and ask somebody, what would it mean for us to have a trusting relationship? So three simple little, I'll give you some practical things. We like practical. So let me just give you three practical things. If you're a parent and you have some struggling relationships, <clears throat> be curious. Be curious. Ask curious questions. Seek to understand before being understood. And ask them, what is it like to be a child to me? I'd venture to say, if you did any of those things, your influence and your role in your kids' lives will be enhanced. Praise God. So here's the invitation. I'm going to refer back to the Matthew 11 passage that I talked about earlier. Here's the invitation. You might feel weary and burdened by the dynamics that you're facing in some of your families. It's so overwhelming, you just want to keep the door shut. Somebody else will clean it. But Jesus is saying this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Actually, what he's referring to is the burden of the law that the scribes and the Pharisees were putting on the people. He's referring to a burden of law. So he says, that's what they're yoked, that's what you're yoked to. <clears throat> and I will give you rest. Take my yoke 
upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The assumption here is this, that you are yoked to something. What is it? He said, take my yoke means you are yoked to something, right? Well, we don't really know what it, sometimes know what a yoke is so unless you go to, to uh, what's that place in Lebanon, the Golden Lamb or some other farm restaurant. That's what a yoke is. Where you're tied, you're tied to that animal or that thing. If it's an animal, either the animal would destroy you or you, or you would destroy it eventually. What Jesus is saying is you are yoked to something. Come to me first and I will show you all the things that you need to see. Come to me. Just come to me. I'll show you. Secondly, he says this. Take my yoke. Take it. Yoke up with me. I will carry the burden. This is the heart of Christianity. This is the heart of it. Submitting ourselves to God. And lastly, he says this. Learn from me. It's not going to happen automatic. We don't turn around and all of a sudden things change. He just says learn. So when you're yoked up, you know, you're right, it's right there. <laughs> we, we talk. We have conversations all day with, with our Lord and his word. Gosh, this is hard. Can you carry this burden? Walking into a family situation is hard, Lord. Help, help me. Trust you. What would happen if we as a church began to grow in our understanding and application of God's grace? What would happen in your house, church? What would happen in your family? What would happen in our community? What would happen if we grew in our understanding of God's grace? Mm. The gospel would be proclaimed. That's what would happen. Would you be the first to take that step What's one risky step that you can trust God for in your life? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, your word uh, is powerful. The truth of it, of your grace, uh, is overwhelming and the power of it is overwhelming. We pray that for all these relationships in our families, your grace would be made manifest in new ways. Thank you for what you're doing in our life and will do. We pray even this week, as people have Thanksgiving meals, Lord, we pray for grace in the moment. In Jesus' name, amen.